Well, hey everyone, this is Athena and welcome to the All Things Podcast, where we gather once a week to learn and share stories about how God works all things together, writing a story of good because He is faithful and good. Every Wednesday, I'll be chatting with a friend who I know and respect, one of our Redemption Press authors, who will not only share a personal Romans 8.28 story, but also help to give you tips and tools for your life journey. Two episodes a month, we'll have an additional interview with a well-known author, and the other two episodes will include a time for Insider Insights, where I'll answer publishing questions from our listeners. So hey, Let's get started. Well, welcome to our episode of All Things. We are excited to be here today with uh, one of our newest authors, Brenda Wilby, who is the author of Taming the Dragons. And she's going to help us kick off our episode for today. Then in the second half, we're going to hear from a few more of our She Writes for Him boot camp graduates with their Romans 828 stories. So before I give a proper introduction, Brenda just would love to welcome you to the All Things Podcast. Yes, thank you. And I'm excited about where we'll go with this. Amen. So let, uh, for those of you who do not know Brenda, I would like to give her a proper introduction. She is a long-time writer. Her work appears in Zondervan's Woman's Devotional Bible Number 2, Inside Religious Publishing, where she wrote the chapter on fiction, Guideposts Best Love Stories, and for 18 years, she wrote for Guidepost Daily Devotionals. She's written hundreds of articles, short stories, and radio scripts. Her 10 books have sold over 700,000 copies. Six have been translated into Dutch. Three transcribed into Braille. That is amazing. And just about all of her writing, she says, fiction and nonfiction are about yesterday's women for women of today. It's in this spirit that she updated a book originally published in 1992 by Harper San Francisco. The new title in partnership with Redemption Press is Taming the Dragons, Powerful Choices for Women in Conflict and Pain. And just a few interesting facts about Brenda. Her favorite job is driving the big 50-seat buses taking tourists coming off the boat in Skagway, Alaska, driving them up to the far north of the Canadian Yukon. Girlfriend, you are much braver, have way more courage than I do. That sounds crazy, but I mean fun, but scary. She has uh, loves being queen of the road that suited her just fine. She was in her element, jawing about history, surrounded by breathtaking scenery, meeting people from all over the world. Too bad those breaks wrecked her right foot and benched her. She is a mother of three, grandmother of nine, two are from Haiti and China. So gosh, Brenda, we have so much great 
content to cover during our time together today. I'm, I've been looking forward to this. Before we actually jump into the Taming the Dragons book, uh, I would love to just have you share a, one of many Romans 8.28 stories in your life, just so our listeners get to know you a little bit better. Yes, I would love to. When I was 17, I experienced a back-from-death experience where I was able to meet God and be immersed in his unfathomable love. Mm. It makes me cry to remember this. It's beyond our comprehension. It's beyond my word ability to create words for it. But this has stuck with me all of my life, and I've had a troubled life like many people. And some crisis that I no longer remember, my friend Andy just looked at me and she said, and you still believe in God? Mm. And my I just looked at her dumbfounded, and it's like, well, of course I do. And then trying to remember, well, why would I? A lot of people have trouble and abandon God. So why was this such a strange question for me? And I went right back to when I was 17. That was, an un, for the most part, an unpleasant circumstance. And I've always questioned it. But the silver lining and God using that to keep me in the faith. Mm. It didn't matter what happened in my life from that point forward. It really didn't and doesn't because he works everything for good, even when we nearly die. Yeah. And it serves a purpose for my life forward. Mm. Well, and being able to have that anchor and go, he made himself real to me. He has proven that he's faithful over and over again. And that just, what a, what an example of how he took something that, I mean, you almost lost your life and for him to use that experience to make you stronger and to know him better. Wow. I love perfect Romans 828. I love that. Yeah, it has been guiding it's been guiding me for all of my life. Mm, I love that. So you, uh, we, I remember uh, us chatting at Mount Hermon um, last year and just talking about all the different things that you've written. And this, we kept coming back to this Taming the Dragons book. And so you've updated it. You wrote it 30 years ago. Now you've updated it. Why did you write the book in the first place? I wrote the book from a position of pain, <clears throat> excuse me. I'd escaped a marriage that wasn't working for me. And it's a consequence of not understanding I had choices. My sister kept telling me I did have choices and of course I didn't believe her because my church was pretty adamant that I remain in a marriage that would kill me. It's better to, they actually felt it was better to kill a man than divorce him. So I was very much stuck there and, and, and floundering. But I had this vague memory of God who loved me once. Mm. Of God at 17 years old telling me personally I had a purpose to live. I was so far off that track. And that vague memory of God loving me, having a plan for my life, 
and my sister telling me I could choose, I started making choices and then cut to the chase, my life turned around. But as it turned around, I was very conscious of women in my same boat who were still stuck. They didn't have that experience with God. They didn't have a sister like mine. And so as a writer, I began to think, what if I wrote a book that, that helps women understand that they have choices? Hmm. So to really do that, it can't be just me opinionating and me you know, trotting out my life and all my ups and downs. I had to go back to school. And I had to go back to school and I studied psychological elements that are specific to women. So I studied Carl Jung's psychology, feminine psychology. I studied deviant psychology. I just, I studied women in history and the whole Bible opened up for me of women in the Bible who have been making choices to better their lives. And I had never really been taught that. Hmm. So that formed a basis for me to, to, create a book that I thought women would be able to relate to by telling stories of women from the Bible, women, conflict everywhere, fairy tales, short stories, literature, history, today, to let them, let people know that we have been making choices for a long time. And so that's why I wrote that book 30 years ago. So since it is now 30 years old and it's had its run, Tell me why, what compelled you to want to give it a fresh look and a fresh, you know, just kind of a fresh launch? Well, because the dragons haven't gone away. Yep. And they they almost seem bigger and badder. Uh, Particularly right now, where we're faced with chaotic politics, Mm. a virus that's short-circuiting all of us, and we're defaulting, it looks to me, back into fear. We're, we're, we're reacting and we're losing our, our family support. We're losing our friends. We are in social isolation. These dragons are pretty powerful right now. And it seems like they're full of fury. Yeah. But, but we can still tame them. We can still tame them with the help of God. And by making choices... It might seem right now we have the lesser of two evils, but Scott Peck assures us in his book, The Road Less Traveled, if we start making the lesser of those two evils, more choices open up and more choices open up. We begin to lose our fear and get these dragons into perspective. Hmm. And so much of you know what's going on right now, it's out of our control. It's not anything we can control what's going, those dragons and the, the roar we can't control that, but we can control how we respond. We can control how we respond, but we can even do more. I think the Bible and Jesus are pretty clear that when we feel powerless and it's the world is beyond us, we can make choices daily to help and love the vulnerable mm. in, in our lives. Whether it's me making some macaroni and running it downstairs for the lady who can't cook for herself. It's these tiny little things. And I think by making these tiny choices, we begin to get a sense of empowerment and that God is with us. Mm, Good, good. So you changed your original subtitle, Christian Women Resolving Conflict, 
And now the subtitle is Powerful Choices for Women in Conflict and Pain. So what, what was your thought process there? The original title was one I was never happy with um, because it, it, it doesn't address who the real audience is. It's, it's Christian women. But I'm writing specifically for women who hurt mm-hmm. and for women who have friends who hurt. And it doesn't say anything about the choices. You know, I, at some point I came across Carol Pearson's book, The Hero Within, where she named six archetypes, which we all live by. I see them as choices. And the whole book is structured around these six choices. And so I wanted a subtitle that reflected that this is a book for women in conflict and pain, but they all, for these women in conflict and pain, they have powerful choices they can make. So that's why I changed the subtitle. Got it. So what are these choices? These, there's six choices. And the first is innocent. We can choose to be innocent. And we do this all the time when it's too much for our heads to comprehend. When your husband dies, it's like, no, he's not dead. He'll be coming through the door at five o'clock tonight. And so we do this to blunt the trauma. So and is it kind had, of like denial? It's a denial. It's a okay. denial where th- there's no dragons out there. It's, you know, it's somebody else's fault and that's why it happened. Uh, we, we blunt it by denying the dragon until our minds can actually find a way to cope. Mm. But it is a choice we make. It's not one we can stay in. Right. And people suffering extreme trauma they get stuck there and it actually causes psychotic breaks with reality. So while we recognize that we make choices for innocence, we also need to understand we need to move forward and make more positive choices. So the second one is orphan. And I'll just run through these quickly. We know since bogging it down, I wrote a whole book on these choices. (laughs) We're not going to do that today. It's not a read aloud. Yeah. When we first hit crisis, we're just thrown out on our ear. It's, it's overwhelming and it's easy to feel like an orphan. Like, where do I turn? Who do I talk to? What's happening? Um, it forces us as orphans to ask for help. Mm. And in the asking for help, we learn self-reliance that we didn't know we have. So we learn then to make a choice to be an orphan and to ask for help. And that is empowering. So would you say in that place, that's where the enemy wants to try and keep us from asking for help and keep us isolated, keep us orphaned? Yes. So that we just, we just, we're a child that's just lost crying in a corner. Yeah. Um, Asking for help will pull us out of that corner. Nice. Okay. Next. The third choice is the pilgrim, which I love because it's, I tend to default to the orphan but I embrace the pilgrim. The pilgrim is a person who recognizes they're uncomfortable in their lives the way it's happening to them at that moment. Abuse can can solidify and cut us off through who God intended us to be. And we, somewhere deep inside of ourselves, we know this, but we're, we've, we've given up thinking for ourselves. And just as Hagar in the Old Testament had to run from her abuse, 
and God met her in that desert. And just as Peter Rabbit ran away from Mr. McGregor, because he's not going to stick it around and talk it through with a fellow who's got a hoe and is about to make him into some rabbit pie. So a pilgrim then starts to think for herself. She gets down off the scarecrow pole as in the Wizard of Oz and she flees. But the pilgrim is not so much about fleeing as retreating and then redirecting in a quest to learn who God has made her to be. Hmm. So that's a little more self-reflective, but embracing rather than running away from the pain, actually learning from it. Well, you have, sometimes you just have to escape. Sometimes you do just have to run away from the pain. Okay. Okay. And then when things start to calm down, then it's a reflection. And mm -hmm. how did I get here? What, how do I think for myself? Is this really true? What does God want me to do? And you begin to make choices toward that goal mm. of what God intends you to do rather than somebody else intends you do. Right. So that's the pilgrim. Okay. The fourth one is the martyr. And this is the one that most women trip over because we are taught incorrectly what a martyr is. A martyr is not somebody who chooses to sacrifice themselves from a position of power in order to meet the self selfish agenda of anybody else. That is so not what a martyr is. Jesus is our model for what a martyr is. Mm. A martyr sacrifices from a position of power in order to redeem the vulnerable, including herself, if she has to. But Jesus always modeled it's from a position of power no one takes my life, he said. I lay it down. Right. He is in charge here. He's the one that will, sometimes they came to, they came after him and he left. He, I'm not going to martyr myself for this. And it was on his terms when he martyred himself. So I think it's an important, important choice for women to come to terms with. The idea of, oh, am I martyring myself and literally getting the sacrifice of myself which serves no earthly good or am i martyring myself and sacrificing something here in order to maybe help my child in order to regain my health in order to support my family mm. it's a positive choice it's not a negative choice and it brings healing to both the martyr and the people she's involved with mm. wow um, the biblical model, model I have for the martyr is, of course, uh, it, uh, the, the uh, Ruth in the Old Testament. All of these choices I pair with a woman from the Bible as mm -hmm. well as women from fairy tales. So the fifth one is the warrior role. And this is the one I think most of us are scared of. Them. It, the warrior role is not something that is, we consider attractive in a woman. We're, we're supposed to sort of get along. Um, but God calls us to be a warrior. And I, I was quite surprised to learn of Deborah in the Old Testament, this fantastic warrior. Um, but a warrior, it, it, it's a tricky role. Sometimes we're called to fight back. A single mother is called to fight for her children. Um, a teacher is called to fight for a student. There are times when we simply can't take it. And we have to stand in the path for justice and fight. But in that process, 
it is way too easy to become like the enemy that we seek to defeat. We end up spewing the same kinds of hatred. And, you know, today you see this on Facebook all the time. Mm -hmm. Both sides just spewing, whether it's masks versus no masks. Or go to church, don't go to church. It's, it, and we, in order to fight what we think is right, we become like the enemy we seek to defeat. Mm -hmm. And we just can't do that. We have to keep in our minds paramount. Who am I saving? And how am I doing that? And I, I posit that we do that by remembering the full armor of God, yeah. the breastplate of righteousness, the, the belt of truth. Uh, and so there's a way to be a warrior, is what I'm saying, without succumbing to being evil ourselves. Exactly. And we, I mean, Jesus is the perfect model for that. He never, yeah. he was, you know, I mean, he displayed perfectly that grace but also i mean there was the time when there was some righteous indignation there but he, it wasn't hateful he took a whip on the temple steps yeah exactly so he was fighting back but he did not succumb yep so it, 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 it's interesting to look at all these choices through jesus you know as, as jesus used them and performed them and then the final is the hardest one of all it's the wizard. And no, I'm not talking about magic. It's, 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 it's a role that transforms a dragon. So the, the uh, innocent says there is no dragon. The orphan says, please help me with this dragon. The pilgrim said, I got to get away from this dragon. The martyr says, I can sacrifice and tame this dragon. The warrior says, I can slay this dragon. The wizard, though, transforms it. Because she relies completely on just that simple element of naming the truth. It's difficult because we think we have to justify the truth. We have to support the truth. We have to fight for the truth. Just name it. Mm. And there's something about naming the truth that becomes extremely transformative. And a really good example of this is for women who have, under, who have undergone sexual molestation or assault is by simply naming this to somebody, they begin to heal. Exactly. Something transformative, putting words to it, naming the truth. This happened to me. It's the power of the whole Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. It's naming the truth. It's not going to do anything about the abuser. That's not going to... But it, you've transformed the dragon within you. Right. That's holding you in that horrible place in your mind. Sometimes when we name the truth, we are, we see creative alternatives too um, that, that speed us on our way, but not always. When I talk about alternative truths, I think of Ab Abigail, her, I mean, she had, she named the truth. Her husband was an idiot. Um, but her creative alternative then was to feed David and his men who were hungry. Right. And in this way, she transformed and was able to save her husband's life and her family's and all of the people who work for her husband. So sometimes we get that creative alternative, but sometimes it's just simply name the truth and let God transform. Amen. And, you know, that is, again, one of the greatest strategies of the enemy is to keep us silent because our healing <laughs> begins when we do that. 
when we actually say it to a safe person. Keeping us silent. But even then, if we somehow overcome that and we speak out, the devil can come along and say, well, that's not enough. You need to, you need to have to go after that guy. You've got to, and no, just naming it is sufficient. So obviously the point I'm trying to make in all these choices is that no one always works. Depends on your conflict and you analyze which one is going to be the most effective for me and move me forward. That's powerful. I love that. I I just love how you took those archetypes that help writers know how to put a story together and showed those through this process. That's, I love it. And it's very, um, it gives so much to ponder and to think through it just in all of our own situations. So well, it gives, you a, it gives a person who's all of a sudden overwhelmed by crisis a place to simply stand and say, okay, I have at least six choices I can make here. Yeah. And then to actually think those through, it grounds a person. It actually grounds them and gives them a place from which to move forward. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So are you working on another book? I am. I'm back to my biographical historical writing. I, I specialize in women of the 1800s. And as my children used to say, mom, if you would write something people want to read, we might eat better. <laughs> <laughs> so I recognize, I recognize that this is, a, this is a narrow niche niche where for people who just love reading historical material. Right. Um, so this, the book I'm working on now is the love story between Narcissa Prentice and Dr. Marcus Whitman. And people from the Northwest know who these, these two people are. Most people do not. But Narcissa and Marcus responded to the Macedonian call of 1833 when four Nez Perce delegates from that nation went east to ask uh, Uh, Captain Clark of the Lewis and Clark fame for the white man's book of heaven and teachers. So newspapers everywhere picked up this Macedonian call, comparing it to the Apostle Paul's vision of the Macedonian man calling for the gospel. Narcissa had always yearned to be a missionary, and this so seized her that she she had to go to Oregon, and she was willing to do anything to fulfill that mission that God had implanted in her heart, even if it meant marrying a perfect stranger. So she met him maybe three times and agreed to marry him. And they went together across the country with another couple. Narcissa became the one of two women to first cross the continent, New York to Washington. Wow. And Fortunately for her and Marcus, it was their marriage of convenience was a match made in heaven. And Mm. so the book is called The Macedonian Call. It's the story of their love affair as they're seeking to serve God. Wow. Okay, so uh, before I um, ask you, I have a couple more questions after this, but what would you say to those who are listening to this podcast who need encouragement? 
Well, one is that God cares. Hmm. And this is where I was in an unhappy marriage is that vague memory that God cares. So I want to reinforce for women that God truly cares and he truly loves you. And if you're overwhelmed, choices will enable God to bring about the change you need in your life. Hmm. Because Jesus stands at the door and he, does, he knocks. He's waiting for you to say, I need help. I, I am in a bad situation. He's asking and he's waiting for us to respond. We tend to think God will just do something. But he asks us to respond. He always stands at the empty tomb of our broken, promise, of our broken dreams and promises. And he asks, woman, why do you weep? Mm. It makes me cry to think that Jesus asks me why I'm weeping. What have I lost? What death have I experienced that making, makes me weep? He cares. And then finally, Jesus promises, I have overcome the world. He has overcome. So those are the basic three things I would like to communicate to everyone. He cares. He waits. And he stands at the empty tomb of our broken promises because he has overcome the world. Mm, I love that. So as we close, um, if you have maybe a tip or a tool that will really build on what you just shared to help our listeners zero in on how God really is continuing to work all things together for good, even when we absolutely can't imagine how he could. What would that be? I would take, uh, I don't know how many people have heard of Corrie Ten Boom. She and her family rescued by the most conservative estimate, 800 people uh, in Nazi-occupied Holland through their home and underground railroad. She and four of her family members were eventually arrested by the Nazis and put into concentration camps. Three of them died. Corey survived and she went all over the world talking about, doesn't matter how deep the pit of hell we're in, God's love is deeper still. And she illustrates that of how, even though we can't see what's happening, the beauty and wonder of all things working together for the glory of God to those who are called according to his purpose. He she gave us, she gave an illustration when I went to hear her speak of the backside of a knitting project, the backside of a tapestry, the backside of embroidery and cell cross stitching. It's a mess. It's a tangled mess. And that can be how our lives feel is this tangled mess. But if we can picture ourselves turning that around and facing the right side of the knitting, with the argyle patterns, if we can turn it around and see what the quilt is really revealing and the patterns there, mm. that can help us and move us through our tangled lives and understand that God is working for the better and the greater. And if we can't see it now, we can rest assured that we will. 
Amen. Amen. That's good. That's a great visual to remember. We see the backside, but the, the other side is um, God's handiwork, and uh, he's doing it, even when we aren't aware of it. So this has just been a, a joy to have you on the show today. So if people want to look you up on social media or online, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Well, they can always contact me through my website, which is just my name, brendawilby.com. Okay. And that has my email in it, which again is basically my name, Brenda at brendawilby.com. Okay. So that's the best way to get a hold of me and to learn a little bit more about me is go to my website or ch I, I, I love working and talking with women and just email me. That's brenda at brendawilby.com. And I, I promise I an will answer. It's my mission and passion to help women gain strength and reconnect with God. Amen. Well, it has been a delight. Thank you so much. And God bless your continuing writing and your ministry. It's um, a powerful message. And I just appreciate your time today. In May, God gave me a vision of a movement. He gave me the name She Writes for Him, and I knew it would start as a book compilation, then a podcast, and finally a conference. Well, here we are a year later, and She Writes for Him, Stories of Resilient Faith, launched on May 12th, featuring Carol Kent, Tammy Trent, and Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith, along with 27 brave women who shared their hard stories of abortion, depression, betrayal, loss, and shame, and declared how God worked redemption in their lives. The second edition is finalizing submissions, and best-selling author Liz Curtis-Higgs leads the lineup of contributors sharing on suffering, cancer, mental health, addictions, and spiritual abuse, for she writes for him stories of living hope. This very podcast launched in February of this year, declaring the faithfulness of God in working all things together for good. And when we had to cancel our in-person She Writes for Him writing retreat in April, we hosted the first 21-day She Writes for Him boot camp online and helped take 40-plus women from concept to manuscript blueprint through 90-minute interactive virtual workshops, daily writing tips, and multiple coaching sessions. As the pandemic continued to interrupt our spring and summer conference plans, God birthed the conference I knew would be, but had no idea it would look like this. A virtual conference with three full days and 33-plus publishing professionals found 400 hungry attendees waiting and ravishing in the wisdom and the love that was poured out through the presenters. We've rescheduled the retreat for this September and still have a few slots open, and another boot camp is scheduled for October. And we've initiated the She Writes for Him tribe, a monthly membership online where you can learn your writing craft, network, grow, and have a safe place to develop your voice with other sisters 
who love the Lord. Join the many women finding their writing identity through the She Writes for Him movement at SheWritesForHim.com. All right, we are back again for another special edition of the All Things Podcast, where we have another She Writes for Him Boot Camp graduate, Sarah Cormini, who is with us today to share her Romans 828 story. She had so many, she had a whole list of different topics that she had Romans 828 stories on. So I want to tell you, I picked the chronic illness story because I think that is an area we have not really touched on this podcast. So Sarah, welcome to the All Things Podcast today. Thank you so much. I'm so blessed and excited to be here. Yeah. Well, I am just going to give you the floor and ask you to share with us your Romans 8.28 story, how God worked all things together for good, even in the midst of chronic illness. Well, you made me giggle with the whole, she had many stories, <laughs> because <laughs> I don't know if you remember when I sent my chronic illness story to you, I actually sent what I thought was the wrong one. And I will never forget when I realized what I'd done, I was just like, oh, oh no, I sent the wrong one. Do I send the right one? Athena's gonna think I'm a ding dong. But then I was like, Jesus loves ding dongs too. So I sent what I thought was the right one. But God, over the last three weeks, it has been almost funny how he has shown me that that first story that I sent you was exactly the story that I was supposed to share today. So he does that so often, doesn't he? Yes, he does. And we second guess ourselves. Of course. And how more in your face can you be other than like, actually he sent the email for me. (laughs) I'm a little stubborn, but that's another story for another time. So anyway, the story that he wants me to share today, it starts with brunch at my grandfather's assisted living facility. And it was a couple of years ago that this happened. So I remember vaguely getting a phone call from him and my, my papa, he never asked you to come to brunch he will call you and he would say Sarah I think it's time for you to come to brunch how many people can I put down (laughs) on the list for the dining room and can I just tell you I was so thankful that every time he called we went And I really believe it was God's grace. My dad died in 2014 of a brain aneurysm Mm -hmm. and it was sudden, very unexpected and just left us very broken. But I think what it afforded us is when Papa says, it's time to come to brunch, you go to brunch. Yep. So we have talked about that over and over that we're so glad that we, we listened. So that particular day, I'm not entirely sure when I saw her, but my guess was I was at the table taking care of my youngest, cutting food, something. And I caught out of the corner of my eye, this sweet lady 
She's sitting in a wheelchair. I can still see her hair is up in a bun. Her dress is colorful and flowered and her eyes are locked on me. And I think, oh no, I have very bad short-term memory. I've met this woman before and I've forgotten. <laughs> Within a few, I told you of a story, just like Finding Nemo. But fortunately, in the next few minutes, she assuaged my fears when she threw up her hands and said, hello, my new friend. And I just, Athena, I fell in love with her. I absolutely, in that moment, 20 minutes later, we had swapped stories about teaching and about life. And I finally realized that I had never gotten up to get any food. So I said to her, I'm so sorry, but can we continue this conversation so I can get some food? She said, of course. And as I stood up, I saw her eyes lock on my cane. It was probably like 30 seconds up to the buffet table. But in those 30 seconds, she kind of saw her internal monologue. Should I say something? Should I not say something? Should I say something? And then it was almost as if it became too much and she just said, I'm so sorry, but can I ask why you walk with a cane? And so I gave her the short answer, the easy answer, the one that's not overwhelming. I just said, I had a stroke and my left side's a little wonky. So I used the cane to keep me from falling, but I should have known that it would not be her last question. Mm -hmm. And she asked me question after question after question. And by the end, I had told her everything. I had told her about my connective tissue disease. I had told her about all the organs that it affected. I had talked to her about the stroke, about a pulmonary embolism, about a septic miscarriage that ended in septic shock, everything. And her eyes were as big as yours, Athena. <laughs> wow because I told you it was an overwhelming story and I was fully prepared for at the end of it her to say something like wow that's overwhelming you've been through a lot I'm so sorry but she didn't say any of those things she said Sarah what healing you've had mm. And I didn't even hear it. And I said, I'm sorry, what did you say? And she said, Sarah, what healing you've had. I don't think it was until I was in the van and I was sitting looking at my babies and looking at my husband and just feeling the weight of Psalm 107. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. I had in my journey, even though I'm sure the world would have looked at it and said, that's fine. I had focused so much on the healing that I thought I was owed mm. or the healing I expected or the healing my doctors expected or the healing the world expected that I had missed the healing that he had given. And I did not even know the end of it because two weeks later 
My grandfather was in the hospital with an emergency surgery. My grandmother was in an outpatient rehabilitation facility. She had had another stroke. And I was sitting in an ambulance, which is kind of ridiculous, and you'll find out why. So I had gone to a standalone ER with some funky symptoms. And I was sitting there, they were getting ready to transport me. So I look at the paramedic and I say, I am so sorry, this is so weird, but could you please get my phone and dial mom? And it kind of looks at me a little strange and I said, he said, okay. I was like, I know this is weird. I know it's weird, just if you could help me out. So he dials my mom and I say, mom, yes. So don't freak out, but I may. <laughs> <laughs> I may be in an ambulance, I may be in AFib, I may have double lung pneumonia, and I might be septic, but let's focus on the butt. We're going to focus on the butt. I have talked to the doctors, and good news, they're going to take me to the same hospital Papa's at, so you don't have to go to any more places to visit people. And the whole time, this guy is just looking at me like, what in the world? And she says, oh, okay, mom, we can do this, I say again. And she's like, all right, all right, I love you. I love you too. So he looked at me and said, you live a really weird life, don't you? And I just laughed and I said, oh, honey, you have no idea. No idea at all. And it just struck me even in that moment, how two weeks, two weeks before I needed those words, mm -hmm. God had given them to that woman to share with me. And those words would comfort me then. They would comfort me when I was released into six weeks of home health care. They would comfort me when my grandfather would pass away a day after Thanksgiving from a complication with the surgery. They would comfort me two and a half months later when my grandmother would win her battle with end-stage dementia. And what a God, mm. what a God who would give me words that I would need for a really hard season. And they have, they have just walked with me through all, all the heart of chronic disease. Because chronic disease is messy. It's really messy and it's really daily and it's very isolating. But don't for a minute believe that we don't experience those of us who walk through it, the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the beauty of God. It's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Every step, every step. Well, I would bet that someone that like you that has lots of different chronic illness issues um i would guess that's hard because people who don't don't know what to do with you and don't like come on pray and it'll be all right you know i mean i would think you you tell us. Uh, you no, know, absolutely. Again, it's the the big saucer. Just what? Wow! I wasn't expecting that, and I don't think it's. I think it's a natural response 
pain is hard. Yeah. Pain is hard when it happens to us, but it's also hard when we have to look at it and we have to sit in it with other people, especially when we don't understand. Because I think a lot of times we are so desperate to want to fix it, whether that is step in with the right words, step in with the right action. But really the beauty of pain is that those people who don't get it get the gift of walking into it and sitting there. And it's just like the verse that God gave both of us. First Corinthians, remember, second Corinthians, it was second Corinthians one, three, and four, mm -hmm. that we learn from other people's sufferings and we are comforted by them, even if we don't understand them. Yeah. So that can be a gift that we give one another, even in the middle of a lot of affliction. Absolutely. And so just, um, for those who are listening who don't want to say the wrong thing and don't want to be awkward and don't want to you know just be quiet or run the other way and and not be you know try and be a friend what's the best thing that we can do to 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 affirm you to love on you without you know, throwing out Christianese that only makes you feel worse. You know, I have been inordinately blessed by friends who they just show up, Athena. Mm. And there have been, you know, they have walked into every messy piece of our story. And so I can share with you the beauty of what that looks like because they were faithful. Mm. Not because of my experience, but because they chose to love me. And I can just say, they have just been there. They have been present. They haven't tried to fix it. They've just said, what can I do to help? How can I help? How can I love you? I think sometimes we're so focused and fixated on filling the silence yeah. that we're not comfortable with it. Yep. And and it's okay. You don't have to say something. You can just sit there and hold their hand, cry with them, laugh with them. It's so much about, again, relationship. And I think we're seeing as a country, as a church, as a world, what it looks like when illness touches every piece of your story, every piece of your life, whether that is emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically, financially, relationally, we are walking into it together. And I think this is a beautiful, beautiful time for us to learn mm -hmm. about what that looks like. And I hope that we learn. But I also want to say this, just, I know everyone is in the middle of hard things right now. And we can't compete over our hard things. I think a lot of times we think we can compete. But we're all in a season of hardship. God's comfort is there for you. It is there for you. It is present. It is powerful. And don't allow yourself like me, because I have done this many a time, where I was so focused and fixated on the affliction, 
the suffering, the hard thing, or I was so focused on the baby that was right in front of me, the, the tasking that I thought was so important. I know I had missed countless moments where God was saying to me, I have comfort for you. I just need you to look up and find it. That's so powerful when, especially when it's in your face, when the pain is in your face and in, I mean, it's just can't get away overpowering mm -hmm. and to look up and to just focus on his goodness. Absolutely. Because he is so good. Yeah. So that um, is a great thought for us all to ponder as we go away from this. Um, you know, whether it's someone who's listening who does have chronic illness or someone who loves someone that has chronic illness, um, that is such a good word to focus on how far you've come and focus on his goodness and his faithfulness. Instead of all everything that the enemy would want you to focus on, which is, you know, it, it didn't happen the way you wanted, and you know, um, it's whatever's screaming the loudest is usually what gets our attention. Exactly, exactly. Pain, yep. pain is hard, but he's present in it. Yeah. Absolutely. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us today. It was just a delight to have you on. You have. Um, given me many opportunities to just crack up because of your humor. I love that about you, girl. You know, and, and keep laughing. And that's something that God has has to work to be yeah. able to be that. You know, just happy and and joyful and humorous, and to see you know, the lighter side in things instead Absolutely. of, you know, because it'd be easy to see all just the dark side. So I just love that about you. And it has, you have just been a joy to have in the boot camp and the tribe and the She Writes For Him conference. It's just been a delight to get to know you. And thank you so much for being on the podcast with us today. Thank you. So thanks for joining us today for the All Things Podcast, brought to you by Redemption Press and the Romans 828 Bookstore. So hey, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you would consider sharing this episode with your friends on social media, of course, only if you thought it was helpful. Or if you haven't yet left a review of the podcast on Apple, I would really appreciate it as you know, it'll help other people find the show and let them know it really is a good one to listen to. So thank you so much for listening today, and I'll see you next week.